You are listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And today, well, we're talking about an album. I know it's been a little while, and we're excited. We really are. It has been. It's been since January that we've done an album episode, just the three of us. How do we do it? I don't remember. It's definitely been a minute, and it's getting back into that groove, but like one of the only other album episodes we've done this year, the MSBR Pure CD episode where we also discussed Am Shinrikyo. This episode, we are going to not only discuss Euglia Thor's Processing's cassette on Bloodlust slash CD on Jinx, but also get into some history of the Process Church of the Final Judgment, which a number of Euglia Thor releases are themed on the process. So excited to dig in. Well, and if you've heard our exploration of the murder series on our Patreon and though some of the ones we posted on our regular feed uh, or our interview with John Balistrieri of slogan, you know, we, we love true crime. It's a, it's an interest that certainly that the Connellys and I shared and we used to go shopping for books and recommending stuff to each other all the time back in the day. And of course still do, but fond memories of going to like Aunt Agatha's in Ann Arbor and picking up mm. true crime books. Absolutely. So true crime cults, these sort of things are endlessly up our alley. And this is a interesting one to get into. And in fact, somewhat stems from a comment that slogan made relating to David Berkowitz. It's all wrapped up into one. We've really been going a lot of our episodes have just been feeding into the next thing. Yeah, our alleys aren't really alleys. They're kind of like wide just streets. Wide uh, open fields. Yeah. So definitely the comment that he Berkowitz wasn't alone led us down this this wild path of getting into Process Church, well, and, Berkowitz well, documentaries. Well, really. and his comment that it had wasn't connected to the process. So yes. we're not so we're gonna get into that. We're not saying that Berkowitz and the process are connected, but they're connected in in theory, in some areas of theory. So we're gonna get into all of this. Connolly's, what have you been listening to lately? Whoa, well Gearing up for the episode, as we do, we've been listening to a lot of Ugula Thor and especially opera, which is a great one. I was obsessed with that tape a while ago. I th- we mentioned it maybe in some episode, but I definitely was obsessed with with Ugula Thor opera. Yeah, and you know, just just that. I I, I we've we've done the night seven inch yes. over on seven inch Sundays, mm-hmm. and you know. I'm just excited to talk more about Ugly Thor and the strangeness and uniqueness of this project. Yeah, Ugly Thor. I'm going to say it differently okay. and wrong pretty much throughout <laughs> the rest of this episode. So everyone strap in. And honestly, in addition to that, it hasn't been a ton of noise, but we've just been in a really big new order zone. Hey, nothing wrong low- with that. Yeah, especially low life. Uh, power, corruption, and lies, and as well as Republic. Ooh, uh, yeah, right. it was strange. Like I heard the song "Regret" off Republic, and it had been a lot. That, that's one I, that I we had never totally forgotten. Yeah, about it. Th- that album was sort of one that 
wasn't always in rotation. It has been a while since we listened to New Order in general. But that one would be probably the longest. Yeah, and, and it was so charming. Um, have a conversation on the telephone, and it was it was just so, you know, sweet and bubblegum, but also with that lovely darkness that is always insinuated on New Order tracks and albums. So we we totally did a binge there, and you know, and speaking of opera, uh, not only Yugolator operatic themes, but I discovered this wild crew true crime story from a local Italian bakery in Los Feliz that's maybe two miles down the street, a tale of murder and also a tale of wild people, Alberto Sarno's soundtrack for Paisano. And this is going to be discussed further on tomorrow's home time over on the Patreon. Because oh, I'm obsessed. Fantastic. I'm obsessed. Well, it's like DIY opera. LA has such a dark history. I mean, I, I think I sent you guys the article about the uh, Zanku chicken murders yes. too. Like there's yes. so much weirdness involved in LA. And you know, New Order is one of those funny things where like it's classic and I'm sure a lot of us have listened to it uh, like too many times. And so like after a point you can stop listening right, to it. Exactly. You, you know it by heart enough. You can play it in your head. You don't need to necessarily hear it. But then when you do listen to it, it's like that with me for, for New Order, for Pink Floyd, for like a lot of these bands that like I grew up on. Front 242. I can think of a Front 242 song in here in my damn head. Like it, I don't need to necessarily listen to it. But then when you listen to it, it's so it's an old pair of shoes. It's just so comfortable and like familiar, but also exciting again. And yeah. Yeah, it had, like been, it had been years since we threw on an album. Like uh, years. We, and, and, and there was just one who's like, man, that kind of sounds good to throw on right now. And then it just ended up being, you, you just get in the zone. I love but it. But you know, you, as, you, as you change and grow as a human, it feels different. You And you appreciate different aspects. <laughs> Absolutely. To the same yeah. thing. Because even, you know, even in, in my younger years, like listening, whatever, 20, 30 years ago, it, you know, I, I, I didn't think about the instrumentation. I didn't think about why the vocals are so charming. I didn't, you know, identify with the music making aspects in the same way that, you know, we do now. Mike, you just interviewed me for a trashware over on the Patreon sure the other did. day. And I talked about moving to LA and one of those things that I like listen to incessantly on the four day drive from Detroit area to Los Angeles was new order. It was like constantly playing in the moving truck, 17 foot U-Haul, really fun stuff to drive across the country. So Whoa. it's been with, some years with cats with two cats in the, <laughs> in the cabin with me, actually. Yeah. That was a whole different thing. I had to stop it's at Walmart to buy hydrogen peroxide and band-aids at one point. If that tells you how well <laughs> taking cats across the country went for cats me. Love you, you, all. You, were, you were either in a death match or driving across the country with cats. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but you know, I also listened to some classics, uh, today, actually, you know, we've been talking, we've done, uh, sort of as the extra noise extra over on the Patreon, we've talked about, some of our recent listening uh, in turn, like you guys did yours and then Mike and I talked about ours. And I also listened to some classics that I can hear in my head when I think about them. However, sometimes you need to just listen to them and soak it in. And so I put on music to play in the dark, oh. not necessarily called volume one because it was just music to play in the dark and then music to play in the dark volume two, which our friends at Deus Records have just reissued in beautiful editions. Uh, I... It was on the coil mailing list, you know, in the late nineties and was buying stuff direct from them. So I have my old copies. I still guy. bought these new copies cause they're expanded editions. Some of the songs were truncated for vinyl originally and this and that, like you, you want to get these nice days editions. I 
that's not sponsored yeah, sure. content. That's mm-hmm. just like I'm stoked that they're working with people to make these nice that's just records. Just a hot tip. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. The fact that you can buy Coil Records when the two main people of that project are unfortunately no longer with us, their creative vision lives on, and you get to hear all this great stuff. And Absolutely. people who work with them are really allowing access to these wonderful archives and doing it respectfully. If you know anything about me, you know I'm a Coil fan through and through. So those records both sounded fantastic. Also, something else that just got reissued was the Threshold Houseboys Choir. And that's something that you showed us that I wasn't familiar with. We Neither of us were familiar with. I mean, with. after John passed, Peter Christofferson made these solo records. And this, uh, there's the original edition is a CD and DVD, and the DVD has videos he filmed in Thailand, which correlate to the music. It's of the Ginjay Festival, these uh, sort of ritualistic festivals. Uh, I'm not cultural enough to know of all the symbolism in them. I do know that when I go to uh, Thai restaurants, I order Ginjay because I'm vegetarian. <laughs> so that is a thing that I can say to them that I know that they will understand, which also includes, I believe, no fish. But this, these videos and this music is like some, you know, much like Coil. Nothing you've ever heard. There's no one like them. There's just nothing else like it. So I, I was soaking in all of that. I've been kind of in a coil zone again. And that's one of those bands, I would say, that for the longest period of my life, from the first time I heard them, which, you know, years and years ago, doing Nine Inch Nails remixes, of all things, was yeah. like my introduction to Coil. And they've been mm-hmm. my favorite band for the longest period of my life. So uh, listening to them again has been very exciting. Those are very classic. And, of course, you can actually get a lot of their material nowadays, which is... Exciting in various sort of dubious or weird editions and like obviously officially endorsed editions too. So go to the source, go to where you know the quality is going to be good. Heck yeah. And yeah, as Gray pointed out on the over in the Patreon, when we do our extra segments, sometimes we've been doing recent listening for those segments, but then sometimes they just are chunks of the episode that go through. So sometimes you don't know exactly where that extra segment is if you're listening to it in the feed so just just for so patrons know that you are getting the extra sometimes it's not it, obviously it's not immediately apparent there you go. Yeah, sometimes uh, we segment where, where it and it. we like address thank you the patrons directly and sometimes it's just folded in because we decided it was a thing or we're speaking with a third party and it's just easiest to let it roll and then we cut out a chunk that we think the patrons would specifically enjoy Exactly. We just want patrons to know that even yeah. if it's not stated Called out in the moment that you are always getting an extra 10 to 20 minutes. Yeah, we're trying to episode. keep keep it natural. You know what's unnatural? Look at this segue. Oh, Look at this segue. That was great. Are you going to say this incredible? So here's a here's a funny thing. You know, usually we both own the release we're talking about. Sometimes only one of us owns it because it's rare and one of us acquires it later. Like that's definitely happened with some things, which I love. Like we really encourage and inspire and excite each other by noise releases. That's part of our friendship and has been for 20 years. Conley's have the tape, which I am just goddamn downright jealous of because it's on Bloodlust, a label I love run by a person I love who did a bunch of really fantastic tape editions in the late nineties and a bunch of great seven inches and all, just all this stuff. Well, this is just a, a fantastic label. And I have the CD reissue on jinx, which is also issued by a friend of mine and someone who obviously cared for this release in a very special way because it's awesome and is sort of true to the cassette and to the material 
in different ways. Yeah, this is really cool. And this is our first episode on a bloodless tape from that series. And I think it's just one of the greatest 90s tape series of all time. And clearly we love the style of packaging of the monochromatic print fold over. You know, they all look great in uniform with slightly different abstract photocopied images of synths and parts of synths. And, you know, these are, they're just all so it's great. It's photocopied synth porn. It's great. There you go. I like that. Which I like that. Extreme close ups of all the sexiest parts. And so this originally came out in 97, I believe the CDs from 2000. And yes, of course, shout out to Mark and to Jeffrey for releasing these, the cassette and the CD. And, you know, one thing I think, Thor is just such a strange and unique PE project. And it's the zone of PE that really, really speaks to us. And Thor takes it even to a stranger level. And then mixed in with the fact that he's even stated that the process is one of his biggest influences, especially in the beginning. There's a number of process themed releases and tracks by the project. We were, we thought, Hey, let's dig into the history of the process as well. And we're going to an Italian place yet again. It's Andrea Chiarvalli and Paolo Bandera of Sigillum S. I mean, right away we're in that engine rumble synth and the feedback and then the just up front vocals and it's I'm in I'm already in yeah and like the first 30 seconds we're like map sold I love this whole thing but this is some of the most personal and weird and unique power electronics to to find around and it's Italian it's got those Italian decisions there's so much like classic sort of weirdness in this where no one else would do it the vocals are super direct super clean but also like blown out and clipped and distorted in like just the right way that they they're special they're different they don't sound like a lot of what would come after they don't sound like a lot of what i think of 1997 sounding like they're, they have this really crazy sound and then the synth is also referencing of course another italian which is atrax morgue which is marco's work it has this very simplistic, very straightforward, direct synth attack vibe that I have to imagine is inspired by, you know, the Sodality and White House and like very direct from that. But it's crunchier and certainly for the time, it feels like kind of meaner and more aggressive than that is sometimes. And. There's all these sort of weird nuances to this project. And you you really, I mean, look, if the first track on this films of war, and this is this is a C60 presented as two sides. So there are seven pieces on the A side. And there's technically seven pieces on the B side, but the B side right. is backwards. It is the A side backwards. So on the CD, the thing plays forwards for a half hour, and then at a certain point. You're listening to the same track you just listened to, but backwards, which, especially for that piece, Sin in Horror, sounds totally natural. It like doesn't yeah. throw you off. It's not until the vocals sort of come back in. Right. To where you're really like, 
oh, I get it. This is absolutely like this is backwards. This is confusing. Yeah, by this backwards we mean not in not in reverse order, but literally it's backwards. Played in it's the reverse. Yeah, direction. it's flipped. Yes. And it, I do think, and and I think there's a good reason for that that we'll get into. But also mm-hmm. the way these tracks go. It, it, it's hard to distinguish just exactly when a track changes. Now the CD is the sides are just one track. They're not divided into the titles. They're correct? not divided on our note sheet here. I actually took uh, the splits from, I think, you know, discographies.com and put them in here for general time reference of when the pieces end. But even that feels kind of wrong at times. We definitely got, got, Totally lost, lost at a it. certain Couldn't point because it, it ended and we were oh, I made, we hadn't gotten. I made notes. I like added all the time. So in the in the margin of mine right. in pencil, there's notes on sort of what times the tracks actually right, right. maybe start, but they're they're obviously off. Like whoever. But who knows? Yeah, who knows wrong. if those are even accurate? We've and it we've doesn't matter that many and times. It doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah, it's funny because on the back of this this digipack, it's got you know the the reissue looks very nice. It's silver and black uh, ink, which if you know my label you know that i love silver and black as a combo i've done a, a good handful of releases in that style you like metallic inks <sighs> look it, i'm Greg. a sucker you like foil you i'm like a sucker pearl, for you foil like metallic, metallic and varnish yeah absolutely i think doing doing those uh, production techniques is adds a little something to it but this one says process scenes film shown every saturday performances 7 30 10 and 12 30 also sundays 7 and 9 30 Films of war, degradation, violence, despair, power, lust, fear, hate, sin, and horror. The Process Progress Course, Communication Course, Improve Your Communication, Monday, 7 through 10, fee, 1 guinea. Free Expression Course, Increase Your Self-Expression, Tuesday, 8.40 to 10 p.m., fee, 1 half guinea. Telepathy Developing Circle, Expand Your Awareness, Wednesday, 8.40 to 10 p.m., fee, 1 half guinea. So I love that they took text from a process advertising to try and recruit people to come in and come to their seminars and come see these films. They were showing films of war, degradation, violence, despair, power, lust, fear, hate, sin, and horror. And yeah, those are the titles of the tracks on this cassette, this CD. We talk about the lyrics being upfront and very clear, but there, that little bit of distortion or that little bit of, natural clipping every once in a while makes you question exactly what the lyrics are. And then when you add in the, the accent, it does also sometimes you're wondering, wait, did he say I want to leave or I want to live? Yeah. You want to live safe. You want to leave safe. You want to live in shape. You want to live in faith. But I think this is something about, especially this side of power electronics is the use of language and the way words interact with each other, the meaning of words, and how it changes depending on where they're placed, where they're said, and the repetition of words. These these are the things I think that Power Electronics really does in a way that that no other genre of anything can really do well i can see why somebody who was interested in power electronics would also be interested in the process church because there are elements at play that really you know have a a parallel trajectory to each other so something like like 
marketing, you know, marketing a band, the icon, the iconography that you would use in a church, in a cult, like the power of symbolism, the power of style, the power of design, like so many members of the process church were, you know, designers, architects and things of that nature. So they used very, very potent imagery, just like all the words that, you know, come together to be on the, the front of the process scenes, like also reused in gorgeous flyers. Like how many times have you seen the same words and images, you know, recycled, you know, becoming something else using, using the same thing, but framing it in a different way. And I think that Hugo Latour does a really good job just reframing different words to where they hit you differently every time you hear them. Very obviously, these were intelligent people that were involved in the process church and who also like seemed to take influence from them throughout the years were very knowledgeable in these things. You have architects and graphic designers. You do. You have that. Uh, you have people who are very aware of this stuff. But also some of our research has come from the wonderful Feral House Love, Sex, Fear, Death book by Timothy Wiley by Timothy Wiley. And mainly the main chunk is Timothy Wiley. Yes. And, and he was the graphic designer and he did a lot of uh, the iconography and imagery and for their, for their magazines. So love, sex, fear, death are the four magazines of the process church that were issued, uh, which are also have also been published by feral house, both that and the book. And they're getting reissued again later this year. Uh, I highly recommend anyone to pick those up. The reissues. I understand that the love, sex, fear, death book is going to be an expanded edition with more information. Timothy Wiley, unfortunately has passed on. But you can enjoy his work and and hearing him, well, reading him speak and hearing him speak in the truly uh, interesting Sympathy for the Devil documentary, uh, which is also about the Process Church and interviews a lot of the surviving members of the Process Church who, of course, are still willing to talk about that time in their lives. And I love this kind of stuff. I will forever be intrigued by these things. So this is this is fantastic. And I think all of this documentation of this period and of this movement is really, really interesting and worth anyone who has a, if you were hearing this and you're curious about what the process church was and our episode here provokes your interest, then seek these out, please, because it's, they're worth your time. It's not a boring read or a boring watch. You will be entertained. Oh, absolutely. It was something I wasn't insanely familiar with. Yeah. Tangentially, Tangentially of course. and yeah. understood it a little bit, but having really dug in this past couple weeks gearing up for this has been really cool learning more about it. And, you know, the, the process church was really founded in the early, early to mid 60s by Robert DeGrimson and Marianne DeGrimson. That was their, the DeGrimson name was what they took on when they formed the process. And originally it was called Compulsions Analysis. They came from Scientology, the two of them. And Timothy Wiley was basically the first member of their group. So the three of them were really the very beginnings, Robert and Marianne being the main two beginnings. And it, and it originally was a, more of a... A psychological help type of situation because the thing that they really connected with in Scientology was the e-meter and, and the process of being just incredibly honest. And again, you know, this is an extreme adaptation of those ideas of, you know, delving into the psyche and exploring archetypes. And so I, I think 
So they're into exploring archetypes, but not just that. They're into delving into personal fears, delving into challenging different types of relationships. These are all young people. It's the burgeoning new age movement. And so it wasn't so unnatural to look at alternative ways of thinking, to look at alternative ways to approach religious practices. This is when, you know, it's very common for people to be exploring different religions and exploring, you know, in a in a time when it was very accepted to try drugs, to, you know, really experiment with your sexuality, experiment with your own existence. And that totally leads to this more extreme type of situation. What's actually interesting is that the process was anti-drugs and Mm -hmm. anti-sex. There would be a point when sex would become part of their practice, their ritualistic <laughs> As practice, in every where it would cult. be a forced orgy. Right. But 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 what's interesting is that it was originally very much practiced celibacy. And 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 they were very much against drugs, which is something that goes against what you think of sixties, you know, cults, right? Yeah, when and, you hear it's a satanic cult, you don't think that, hey, they only can in, they only have nicotine and caffeine they don't really consume alcohol their orgies are ritualistic and they abstain from most sexual practices and they have you know they have a really regimented diet of what they're going to eat um it, it's just not exactly what you think and i think that's what's so fascinating about process and i can see why you know people can just read on and and think endlessly about them and the yeah the orgies is something that would come later but and they seem to not have enjoyed them at least <laughs> right. any, anyone who's spoken of these orgies uh kind of views them as a drag so but you did bring up satan and that is of course going to be forever linked to the process because one of their their main things was the three great gods with Christ being the unifier, right? So it was Jehovah, mm-hmm. Lucifer, and Satan, and then Christ being the unifier. And their whole idea was the reconciliation of the opposites, mm-hmm. Christ and Satan, or Jehovah and Satan. And this is also why I think the idea to do the second side backwards was chosen for this. It's the opposite. So I think Yugla Thor is giving us the reconciliation of the opposites with Side A and side B. Yeah, well, they're, they're trying to fuse everything together and saying, why why does everything have to be so such a, a dichotomy? Why why is everything so oppositional? Why why can't we, you know, in their minds, be like Jesus and resolve with our forgiveness all of these different beings and merge Jehovah, Lucifer, Satan, and Christ into into one consciousness and just confront all of it without fear. Terry, you mentioned before we sort of got off on our process tangent, the repetition in the first piece and the second piece degradation sort of fulfills that repetition. And this is when you start to feel to me like you're being brainwashed. And that was something of course that most cults and especially the process were accused of by family members, people who cared about people who were involved in this church and so this is a very confrontational piece and you get the the mantra chant like nature of these lyrics and they're also sung w- with this nasty distortion so I they know, right? oh it's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable 
and love and the sing def- song. Yeah, that and I think that's definitely where the strangeness of Thor really shines is that sing songy way <laughs> that you just don't hear in 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 other things. That he's actually singing. I love it. It's so strange. Oh but, yeah. Oh, but yeah, the grizzled voices, it. it just brings this this veiled darkness. Like if a voice could wear a cloak. It is. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And the, 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 the sizzle, the salt of the distortion on top of it. Like that's, that is a thing that is really special is it's very clean and direct, but there's just this seasoning to it that makes it different and makes it even more uncomfortable with the repetition, with the way the synth ends on this one and moves into the next piece violence, which is a strictly synthesized piece. So in your mind or your notes is the track that he where he is singing I'm the maker looking down That's degradation for you. That's degradation. So I that's what we have too. I yeah, have yeah. that down okay, in degradation. In our minds that that okay, was the case just, because yeah. you know Yeah, the vocals don't come back until despair in my brain. Like violence is a is a synth only piece. Much, that is I, yes. okay, so I, okay, so I yeah, think they flow, good. They flow into each other. The transitions are so seamless like it it really really has just a a beautiful flow up for this entire album oh this is a 30 minute piece broken into different movements it's not it's not seven individual tracks it's mm-hmm. it's a 30 minute piece with different movements that's fully how i hear it there's no breakage there's no stoppage the only time you get some sort of reprieve if you're listening to the cd is when the and fades out and then it comes back in in reverse and likewise with the tape when you flip it. Otherwise, these are this is a continuous journey of 30 minutes. And we should note that Mark Solotroff is credited with true scenes, which is how the B-side is referred to with uh, in the CD. He's referred to coming up with the concept for that. So when he was releasing this cassette, he decided that uh, or consulted, you know, I don't know exactly how that conversation went, but that the B-side could just be the A-side backwards. And I, I love that idea. I love that thing. It's one 30-minute mm-hmm. piece. Well, what if we put it backwards on the B-sides? And It's like the Janus point. It's uh, where time meets and partially it flows forward and partially it flows backward. But you, when you're in it, you don't know which one you're in. Janus. Absolutely. Great. Yeah, Absolutely. That's, that's a Janus Great point. magazines. Anyone who knows uh, 70s Parliament publications stuff. By the way, I'm still trying to complete my collection. So hit me up. And also a uh, great film distributor. I mean, Caligula, right? Like all these wonderful films that oh, uh, yeah. Janus, oh, yeah. Janus Films did. So. Yeah. Well, I think it's also a fascinating concept because if you think that there is a time that is flowing in the opposite way, if you want to think of time as directional, then then ours is flowing. What does that feel like? What does that look like? And how does it impact the world that we're in? Well, you bring up magazine and that's going to be a huge part of the process and how the process is going to put their messaging out there, recruit people, make people aware of their events, of their venues, of their coffee shop. When they're talking about the amount of magazines they made also, we're talking about like 200,000 plus of some of these issues that they would distribute on the street corner. And oh man, I cannot remember the name of it. And I should have written this down. I rewatched the documentary to talk about all this stuff, but they talk about a place in uh, the UK where they were they were like hawking their magazines 
And all the, there were all, basically it was like, if you were a street preacher sort, you would all go to this sort of area and everyone would be on like a different soapbox sort of shouting at people to get whoever they yes. could to listen. And it's so, well, what a in, different they, time. They were, I mean, it's like Pershing Square in Los Angeles, maybe. Yeah, they show at, footage of that. In at the, Mayfair Place. It's, it's thank in, you. In yes. <laughs> and yeah. And, and then they were at Balfour Place um, and they had a, a coffee shop. That was their first location. Their first location, correct. Um, and and was called Satan's Cavern. Exactly. And yeah, so they were doing the magazines then. And they look incredible. Gray, you mentioned earlier that people involved were designers, architects. Timothy Wiley mm -hmm. was. Timothy so, Wiley did an amazing job. These things are beautiful. Yeah, they they understood they the print process. So the colors are beautiful. The layout's beautiful. The sort of cartoonish nature. I mean, anyone who loved like old playboy magazines and the cartoons and that sort of stuff like Monty Python. It has a lot of yes. that sort of vibe to it, but also just really strong. Look, look at any gig flyer from like the last 15 years. And there is influence from these process magazines that you don't even realize. Like it's absurd well, I, when you start to look at it. I think that, that they're heavily influenced by, you know, propaganda and futurism as well. Absolutely. Cause they were going for something that was, you know, really impactful. Uh, and, and I think that you can't also sell it short that these were attractive youths with a very distinctive personal style in the midst of, you know, bell bottoms, flower children, people with wild colored clothing, you know, bearing it all. And they're wearing buttoned up cloaks and being and, somber and not doing drugs and not doing drugs and being completely together and really um, intimidating people into buying their magazine uh, just so that they can get away. And, and, and what an impact. That was one of the things they taught was intimidation and how to be aloof and distant and oppressive. And that's, that's one of those things you learn, especially through reading the book and watching the documentary is that you, you learn that they were broken down as individuals and they were made to for, sort of form this collective mentality. And all part of that was this, sort of omnipresent knowledge and mysteriousness and coercive force that they had. So uh, uh, even in the documentary, people talk about like, Oh, brain brainwashed. Well, that sounds like something that happens against your will. I, I wanted what the process was offering. I wanted mm -hmm, what right. they were giving me. I wanted to learn these things about myself, about my fellow man and about our, our interactions together. Like I wanted these things. So was I brainwashed? No, I, I embraced it. I was, I was being taught. I was being molded into something that I actually wanted to become. And I love that thought. And of course that is, you know, Stockholm syndrome. That is the sort of the same thing that like someone who's been brainwashed might say. So I find it very interesting from that standpoint too, but being receptive to these things and seeking something different in a time when flower power, free love, like that's what's going on. And all of these different cults. And in fact, this, this sort of lines up with in different ways, different sort of cult and uh, family organizations, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more as we go on. Well, who doesn't want to be telepathic? Hey, and that is something that they said they could teach you and train you to be. Well, and a lot of it really started to get heavily spiritual or more towards that realm when they all went on to the Bahamas and then Mexico. So they left London for a while 
They said it was an equal. London was getting sick of them and they were getting sick of London. So they go down to the Bahamas and then eventually go to Mexico where they find this abandoned salt factory on the ocean and live this completely stripped down life. It sounds unlivable to me oh, uh, in a way oh, that I, I, my current lifestyle could not endure. But people in their 20s, people who have a, a strong sense of family with their companions, uh, people who have different expectations out of life. Certainly, I, I like understand the appeal of it. And hey, maybe 20 some years ago, I could have been down for something of this sort. But nowadays, it sounds so foreign to me. But I, I do understand the appeal of what they were doing and where they were going. I get 100% see this happening. They're wandering and looking for a sign. And they're trying to connect with a higher power. They're trying to connect with each other and have a a, a message in this world that they are you know, doing the right thing and looking for signs. And, you know, how often do you see that in people now? I think that throughout cultures, everybody wants a sign that they're being listened to by a higher power. So they finally make their way up to the Yucatan Peninsula. They're almost out of money and they make their way to Shtul, which is the Mayan word for the end. So when they reach this town, that means the end, they see that as an absolute sign. And how many times, like even in the track that I think is despair, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, they, Yugulathor says, I am the alpha, I am the omega. And that is another part of the iconography of the process church. So the omega is the end of the Greek alphabet. And so that is the end. And Mike, who considered themselves the Omega within the process church, Robert and Marianne de Grimson. And of course the end is also a big part of the process. The end of the world. It was the apocalypse is what they were talking about. The as process well. of the final judgment, prepare yourself exactly for the final judgment, the and, reconciliation, mm -hmm. the opposites leading towards the end of the world. And again, it's important to note that the age that a lot of these people were timothy wiley was born in 1940 he says one of his first memories was the bombing of his village in world war ii mm -hmm. so they were they really believed that the end of the world was right around the corner that's how they grew up it was their earliest memories was were, was war so they are in this idea of the end of the world and of course nuclear war looming. So all of this stuff was going to line up with what they were talking about. Again, coming to the, that town of Mexico, that means the end. Of course, that's of course. That's and then when they end. were in this um, dilapidated factory together with limited provisions and, you know, and this is where part of the legend comes in. And this is where they first acquired their German shepherds and they had lots of dogs. And although they were very, lean and struggling to have food. They were, they were feeding their dogs the entire time. And, and, you know, again, this comes into play with their mythos and legends about them at the entire time, a hurricane was approaching and the entire town, everything around it was evacuated by the military, but they, you know, ask for a sign and the sign they received said to stay. So they stayed in a place without a roof during hurricane Inez and were given a sign that they needed to leave the you know, the internal structure that didn't have a roof. And as soon as everybody left that area, the walls fell down. So again, they're receiving that confirmation of what they're doing 
and, and what they're perceiving to be signs. And so that, you know, drove that initial group even tighter to say like, no, we've actually received divine signals that we're on the right path. We have reached the end and now it's time to go forth into the world and spread, you know, our new method of thinking into everybody. Again, was it part starvation? Was it this in-group philosophy? Was it, you know, just everybody's far out ideas taking hold of everything else, you know, that they had ever learned? I don't know. Who knows? But at that point, that's when they started to spread themselves into popular culture. It's true. And now, Terry, you said you had marked down the Alpha and Omega in despair. I wasn't sure if it was despair or power. Or power, because that would make sense if it was in power for the title. It was. It, that's again. really when I actually wrote down, this is really blending, and I'm not sure which track I'm in. But either way, this is when he's talking about speaking to the masses, right? Yes, and and I was just thinking, like, this is such a... It made me think that the Yugulator vocal style of PE is a sinister proclamation. Like yeah. the the way that it's all being delivered is just this absolute sinister proclamation. Sinister. I like that. I like that as a descriptor for his vocals. Period. For, I think for it, I really, think it really all fits. of it. <laughs> Even yeah. something like Forced yeah. Flesh yeah. or any of the earlier records, like Igalithor is sinister in approach, in appearance, and in sound, like th that's a great word to describe this project. And, and absolutely commanding. Like if if vocals could make too long of an of eye contact, yes, they definitely do that. <laughs> yeah, and, but, and it's that's vocals that are peering right through. Yes, you. it's so uncomfortable, and that's what I love about power electronics. I love when it gets uncomfortable. It's I, I yeah, it's I can't ever get enough mm -hmm. of it and and when you can really hear the individual i think you know and maybe maybe this is a dynamic part of the process church like like speaking of their individuals but i think they spoke more in archetype but but in power electronics you get the individual sometimes and you get them so raw that it makes it more real like almost more real and there's something just so potent about sitting in it and experiencing it. And I would say that the potency of this iconography, this marketing, these sounds, the design is overwhelming. The other great vocal part, I think, is in, in my mind, I wrote it in, in the despair section is the past humans Past human activity. Oh, I thought it was post-human activities. See, there you go. And so there's that little bit I like of that again, and there's that little bit of of the way we hear the vocals and the yeah. way they're repeated. I thought it was paused at first. Paused human I, activities. I've got lost I had, <laughs> I had lost past, at first. Past. And that's what I wrote down. I'm like, no, wait, no, wait. I think he's saying past. And hey, maybe it is post. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is post-human activity. He also says. I'm your mighty. And I felt like that was about transcendence, about uh, existing beyond being human, about existing hey. past, about a legacy, about a power. And that's to me what the, these pieces are about. But then uh, we go into some of my favorite <laughs> stuff here, which is lust, fear, hate, which is the, this. What a strange track. Mesmerizing, brainwashing, overpowering, crude, distorted drum machine. 
And I feel like we hear glimpses maybe of this earlier on because there is some sort of rhythmic element to a few of the pieces, but it's so kind of foreign. But this is direct and in-your-face crude drum machine distorted and and nasty. And this is where we start to close out the side of the tape. Like, we we really come to a place that is giving us resolution and is bringing us to the finality is that, that drum machine. I don't know. I, I, I'm a sucker for a distorted drum machine. I think anyone that listens to this podcast probably knows that. So this works for me. Yeah. And it's really strange and breaking down. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was just decomposing electricity. It was, you know what I, I was thinking. I had something similar in my notes. The, yeah, yeah, it was the I said the electricity is breaking down. It's exactly what I wrote. Decomposing I said, yeah, electricity. Yeah. It really sounds the, like it's breaking down. The clicks of it also reminded me of, you know, the cocking of a gun or something of that nature. And I think that just the the absolute intensity of of the entire package would lead me to think of something violent, something that could reach through and be aggressive. So the Process wouldn't become a church formally until they established a chapter in New Orleans. And that's when they actually rechristened themselves the Process Church of the Final Judgment is in New Orleans. And what a scene to have it. Again, it's somewhere where young people or, I mean, honestly, people of all ages go to be free and experiment and party. And, and then you encounter the Process Church. Yeah, and of course, a lot of strangeness would be going down in New Orleans in the 60s, especially mm -hmm. related to the JFK assassination. So this is a strange, haunted city, especially in the 60s. And they would also start opening up chapters in other cities throughout the U.S., Chicago being a big, prominent one. And hey, we have two Chicago labels putting this out. I yeah. don't think that that is <laughs> yes. a Not coincidence. a coincidence. Yeah, so they, they came back to the States, or they came to the States in 67, so they were from like 67 to 74. So just with enough time to become entrenched, develop a following before the dark times of 1969 and onward. And what really would place that darkness onto the process not only were they talking about the end of the world they're talking about satan they're walking around in black cloaks with goats heads on their on their cloaks and they're inviting that sort of thought about them and that mystery they've admitted that that the more mystery for them it was better and the more people were putting on them they were okay with that yes although they're not necessarily a literal satanic cult they certainly adapted the imagery but you know ironically they were certainly opposed to um any vivisection any animal harm they kept large amounts of of pets uh they later formed animal rescues like this was exactly you know this wasn't a type of human sacrifice animal sacrifice satanic cult per se but what's going to really cloak the process in darkness is going to be a connection with Charles Manson. It has been overstated the connection, but there is certainly some connection because mm -hmm. he was in an issue of the process. He's in the death he issue. He attended meetings. A yeah. It was after the murders 
and he is interviewed in the death issue. And he was certainly around when the process had chapters in San Francisco and certainly read the magazine and had talked about the influence, but it only went one way. The process was not involved in any way with Manson. It was more Manson taking some of that. The teachings, the words. From the magazines. He was actually yes. just as much inspired by Scientology. He talks about mm-hmm. being uh, cleared at one point in the early 60s by Scientology. So Manson took a lot of stuff and mixed it together. But the process certainly had nothing to do with the Tate LaBianca murders. But Ed Sanders, the author of the book, The Family. Great book. Would have a whole chapter about this connection. And this is sort of where the breakdown of the process occurs as well, because they do sue the publishers to get that out because it is libel. My copy of the book does not have that chapter in it. I have the the later paperback the edition with the, the green uh, Charles Manson face on it. And it doesn't have that chapter in it. The only, right. the only one that has it is the, we have an early version that does have it, but what happened was, so the U S copies, it was taken out. Yeah. Because U S copyright law is, Pretty stringent. But in the UK, they tried to do the same thing. And what happened was, is that neither Robert nor Marianne decided to, to go to the trial or to stand trial. So they sent some people who were part of the process as part of the trial. And the judges were not happy about that. And they just were not going for it. And so they totally lost that case. And... So and I'm any, sure their reputation in London and exactly. in, in the UK and in so general they start, was not helping so their situation. So now that perception, now the inner workings are starting to break down a little bit. And the, the main to the Omega, Robert and Marianne, eventually are going to split up as well because Robert starts having an affair with... Morgana. Exactly. A younger woman. And this whole time, too, one thing that's interesting, we can now that we can look back on history and see that Marianne was the main person behind the process. At the time, it was thought to be Robert. Robert was the face of the process. The face was wrote uh, the books. He was Jesus. Now it's speculated that she would maybe dictate some of these to him, but he was known as the leader of the process where Marianne was behind. There's only a handful of pictures of her. Yeah. But, and every single one of them, she is stunningly beautiful. And Robert, all the pictures of him, he has this Jesus look. And right? she insisted oh, that fully. he was back. And she insisted that he was backlit and really personified that image of the Christ, the Savior, and all of. But at this time too, so they have these coffee shops going on in 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 these cities throughout. The yeah, US, the Paris, Chicago, New York, San Europe Francisco, well. Boston, Munich, Rome, Toronto. But their big thing is they have these coffee shops and then they have these assemblies, workshops, midnight meditations. And you could just go. The actual Membership? members of the process were yeah. very minimal. Mm-hmm. It was a lot more people going to the events, the, the meditations. Scene, yeah. They had a band or they would have other bands play. Folk bands would play. There were these dimly lit places with candles and black walls and, you know. Cool I, icons on the wall. Absolutely. And pentagrams. And-, and again, they would move away from the Lucifer and Satan elements of the process. But he even admit 
that's what people were attracted to was the the danger the goat's elements, heads yeah. and the satanic elements. That's what people were coming off the street. They wanted to be a part of that. Yeah, even even their symbol of the four P's. It's incredibly sinister looking. I recently saw a flyer for a Scientology promoted gig from the 60s that the Incredible String Band played. And so, I mean, they were definitely, (laughs) you know, back then it was it was it was just a part of that 60s. People were exploring new religions and new religious ideas and new sort of fraternal groups and associations and affiliations. And so anyone who was already outside of the norm, like probably anyone listening to this podcast that likes noise already you think different so you might be drawn to different sort of things like checking out scientology not because of what it is now in 2022 but because of what it was in 1966 or what you know like are you those... saying we're open-minded gray look we're all susceptible to a little bit of brainwashing right well i'm susceptible to this awesome final track on the a side in a way the final track i mean obviously it's it's not it's really the final track of the first half but the final proper track sin and horror just this great feedback hypnotic oh i love that just yeah, those interruptions hypnotic the the dissolution that occurs right at the end that tone i love satisfying. i love this whole side and i love that it sort of starts again anew when you flip it or when you let the cd play and it's such a i love that the cd kept the intact reverse of it on it. I think that's such a good decision. And obviously if there's material and you're doing a reissue, you're going to want to continue that and, and keep it proper. But it just feels like one of those things that like, it was the right decision for the cassette and it's the right decision for the, for the CD. Like it's, well, I want to hear it backwards so I can hear all of the hidden messages on it. And I think this cassette absolutely benefits from a listen with headphones. I think that describes all Eagle Thor. Like there's so much to this minimal approach to it and a lot of thought and emotion and personality put into it, which is one of those things that has drawn us to this project. And we've done yeah. a number of their seven inches on our Patreon and they continue to impress. And of course, this is one of those projects I've listened to for a long time finding something like the force flesh CD on minus havens or the wheel of the process, 12 inch, like those things were sort of instrumental when I was getting into noise. Cause they were around, they were things you could find very easily and much like magazines from the process. There were things you could find. You were on the street corner. There was someone trying to hockey one of these things and maybe you didn't have one, but maybe your friend did. And maybe you heard this and then now you're curious and now they've got a, they've got a, a, cafe they've got a coffee shop they've got this i'm gonna go check that out yeah why not i mean what can what can a cup of coffee hurt what can a cup of tea hurt well and i think it's another one of those situations where we're curious about our own fears you know like listening to music that makes us see the things that creep us out that make us experience our fear really digging into that again the process church is you know, finding the places where we have fear and, you know, they were trying to get resolution to that and dissolve it. And maybe in seeking out the intense music we do, it's not that we're trying to resolve it. We're just trying to understand it, confront it and feel it, not run from it. I feel like we're all very skeptical now as a society. And 
this harkens back to a time when people were not as skeptical. They were exploring and embracing different ideas and different ways of thinking about uh, our mortality and our, our future and our, and death and life and our, just our existence period, right? Existential issues and, and concerns. And we were more open to hearing a different point of view of it now where we've all sort of segmented off into our specific beliefs and kind of keep with our own belief structures and people who share and harbor the same beliefs that we do. 1966 was not that time. That was not what was going on. This is a totally different time. And these influences that have bled into Yugula Thor are part of that. And, and are part of that, I think also because they focused on this sort of thing so much with the project, it was obviously a big influence to them in many different ways from the graphic design end of things, from the philosophical end of things, from the simply the writing and the delivery of those things, the, the directness, the sort of lack of obfuscation while still seeming mystical occult and, and shrouded in some sort of darkness. Well, this was a lot of fun and I'm, I'm so thankful that Eagle Thor, gave us this cassette uh, later reissued of course by Jinx as a CD and just dug into these sort of things also and took this as influence and inspiration because like I said, look at the, uh, the Holy writ of the process church, which I believe is the name of the collected magazines and uh, which is also getting a reissue this summer. The graphic design sentiments, again, pulling from propaganda, pulling from just a tradition of great graphic design. This, this stuff is made to look a certain way, to be eye-catching, to draw you in and to communicate this information to you in a very simplistic way. And it does it. And Yugula Thor does it as well with process scenes. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.